This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show today. And, um, you know, as we've been talking about, pro-Israel forces and their proxies in D.C. have stepped up their effort to condemn the Iran nuclear deal. But in addition, to promote war against Iran in the midst of everything else that's going on right now, Jamal, with Ukraine, with, uh, you know, potential recession that we're finding, with everything. You have pro-Israel forces pounding the door uh, of Congress, uh, you know, wanting to promote war in Iran right now. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And then kind of a big picture point of view. I think you and I both have spoken about this. I know I am concerned about it. With the price of oil going up, MBS's power in Saudi Arabia and in the world has gone up, and he's on a spending spree, man. I, I, I for one, do worry that he's going to spend the, the Saudi treasure down to zero. He's got some really outlandish ideas for how to spend the money. I think it's to his ideas to make it a political advantage to pay off some of his subjects, the Saudis, you know, because he's a monarch. But some of his ideas are are really crazy. But before we get to those two stories, Jamal, we're going to get to an interview that you did with Arielle Koren. She's uh, a Jewish product marketing manager at Google for education, and she's led efforts to criticize Project Nimbus. Project Nimbus collaborates with the Israeli military. So this is Google and the Israeli military kind of cooperating with each other. Um, She resigned recently after facing retaliation from management and harassment from fellow Googlers. It's uh, yet another story of an attack on um, someone questioning, you know, should tech be involved in promoting an apartheid regime like Israel? That's right. And just uh, she's not the only one who resigned. Now the numbers are going uh, higher. And we, we mentioned Google, but also Amazon. So right. that's, that's a whole separate uh, story to what's going on at Amazon, what's going on at other tech companies here. And she was absolutely brave enough and uh, to be just in the front, forefront of, of this battle against uh, basically supporting an apartheid regime, supporting a military military occupation. And guess what? This is the trend in this country. Right. You, open, you open your mouth and criticize Israel, the next thing is you're out of a job. I mean, you can criticize the president of the United States, you could criticize any anything around here. But once you start touching that subject, all hell will break loose, and that's what's going on. Employees at big tech companies have become increasingly more outspoken in their criticism of how some products are used by oppressive regimes for surveillance and repression of people. The overwhelming response to such criticism by companies such as Google is to silence it with harsh retaliatory measures. Most recently, over 1,000 Google and Amazon workers have risen up against Project Nimbus, $1.2 billion cloud computing artificial intelligence contract Google and Amazon Web Services entered into with the Israeli military and government. They state that this technology will further enable Israeli apartheid practices, ethnic cleansing, and settler colonialism. 
Ariel Koren, a Jewish product marketing manager at Google for Education, who has led efforts criticizing Project Nimbus, resigned from Google on August 30th after facing such retaliation from management and harassment from fellow Googlers. Ariel has been at the company for over seven years and is a member of the Alphabet Workers Union. Ariel is here with us today to talk about her experience. Uh, welcome to Arab Talk, uh, Ariel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Firstly, Ariel, I want to thank you and other Google employees for speaking out against Project Nimbus and Google's plan to collaborate with Israel on, on, on this technology that will fortify and facilitate apartheid Israel's ongoing brutal oppression and ethnic cleanses, cleansing of indigenous Palestinians. It takes courage and integ integrity, really. Can you summarize the goals of uh, Project Nimbus and some of the specific ways that Israel will be able to benefit from this technology in its repression of Palestinians? Yes. Um, so Google has been intentionally extremely secretive about Project Nimbus. They are withholding information from the workforce, from, from those of us who, who are or were workers within, within the workforce, but also they're withholding information from the general public, from, the, from their shareholders, from people who, you know, across so many different sectors of society have, have the right to know when, you know, the details about when, when, a, when the world's largest search engine, which is supposed to be a public good, is contracting with the military and with the government that is committing war crimes and carrying out apartheid on a daily basis, right? We have the, we have the right to know the details. So they're intentionally withholding information, um, which is extremely concerning, but there are some things that we know about this contract that, that have led to really grave concerns that we have and that have that have affirmed our our belief that this is a crisis of conscience for Google workers and for the public. So first of all, uh, Project Nimbus, as you mentioned, it's a $1.2 billion project between Google and Amazon and the Israeli government and military. Through Project Nimbus, Google is going to be providing powerful AI tools to the Israeli government and military. And there is a clause within the contract that states that Google and Amazon do not have any right to regulate the way that the technology gets used. So they are required to hand over these tools to the government and military, and then to wipe their hands of any sort of responsibility to regulate the way that the technology is getting used. There's also a clause in Project Nimbus that states that they're not allowed to um, make the decision or to regulate which government agencies become the beneficiaries of the contract. So the Israeli government and military decide how it gets used and whom it gets used by. One example is that the ILA, the Israel Land Authority, is one of the beneficiaries of the contract, and they're responsible for illegal settlement expansion. So essentially, we believe that through the tools provided by Project Nimbus, we are going to be aiding in the scaling out of illegal settlement expansion, of data collection. Um, there are some other really important things as well. One is that there's a clause within Project Nimbus that states that Google and Amazon don't have the right to pull out of the contract, even in the event of worker protest or boycott pressures. So the fact that the contract is actually, actually written with a clause that says that in the event of boycott pressure, you can't pull out is inherently concerning because it means that they believe that things will be discovered about the project that will be concerning and that will make people angry, right? Um, the Intercept reported that there were several documents that were a part of the training kind of infrastructure 
for Project Nimbus, which is the training is, is, you know, Google engineers and the folks who are working on the project are training Israeli government and military officials. And there was um, an actual line from the training that became public information where an Israeli government official said, will, will Google help us, you know, is the technology sufficient to help us determine if someone is lying? And the, um, the Google employee responded, yes, that we can determine if someone is lying with, with, the AI with the AI tools that we're providing to the Israeli government and military, which makes it clear that there's a surveillance and interrogation use case right, being thought up, um, first of all. But second of all, there is no, it is very well documented. AI experts across the field, including Google's own AI experts, have stated that there is not sufficient capacity or capability right now to actually determine sentiments, to determine emotions, and to determine if someone is telling the truth or lying. So essentially what, what that means is that there's this huge margin of error, and that margin of error doesn't matter that the technology is going to be used and that margin of error will will ultimately be used to harm Palestinian people and to determine that a Palestinian person, whether they're innocent or not, is going to be incarcerated and detained and in many cases experience horrible, abusive practices. So, you know, there are just extreme, extreme concerns and there is enough at this point, evidence to believe that this is indeed a surveillance contract, that we're providing extremely powerful AI tools. And Google has continued to reiterate that this is a neutral contract, that there's nothing to be worried about, but, but there's no neutrality in technology that's getting handed over into the hands of an apartheid military and government, right? So, so you know, there are just many, many causes for concern here. How long have you been aware of this project? So that's another thing that really adds insult to injury. The project was launched in May of 2021, which was right in the midst of the siege on Gaza, during which over 250 Palestinian civilians were killed at the hands of Israeli military violence. So, you know, the fact that the project was actually launched during that siege really just makes it even more concerning because Google, you know, while this was all happening, Google kind of secretly and subtly rolls out this extremely powerful and significant project. Tell us how uh, your situation unfolded. Uh, when did you st- uh, did you uh, when did you started speaking out and how did Google try to neutralize your influence? Well, myself, alongside many other of my coworkers who shared my concerns, and again, and you mentioned this at the beginning, but over 1,000 Google and Amazon workers have spoken out. So it's not, you know, this is not just like a few workers. This is many, many, many people who are rising up and taking action. Um, but many of us have been organizing around this issue for a long time within the company, even before Project Nimbus existed, because, you know, Google's complicity in fueling and profiting off of Israeli apartheid violence even though the, the you know, Project Nimbus is such a clear and really kind of the biggest example right now, there are a lot of other, other ways that this has played out. So even before Project Nimbus, we've been very active in organizing around this issue. Um, but in May of 2021, when we learned about this contract, we knew that we needed to really, you know, channel our energies toward taking action because of how concerning and how violent this this project was right so we we immediately began to organize ourselves internally we began to have conversations with people across the company over over company email etc we ultimately drafted a petition 
um, that we began to circulate internally. And then there was also an external petition and civil society organizations such as Empower Change, Jewish Voice for Peace, Palestine Legal Center, and many other civil society organizations launched a public campaign called No Tech for Apartheid. Um, and there are at this point, almost 40,000 people who have signed the public petition, you know, there was, there's just a lot of traction and, and a lot of concern. Um, and to answer your question around, like, you know, what did Google do? Well, essentially, what, it was just two workers who spoke out publicly, in spite of the fact that many workers are speaking out due to the fear of retaliation, many folks did not want to speak out publicly. So it was myself and one other colleague named Gabriel who spoke out initially. Um, I first spoke out in in November at a time during which I was on disability leave. And immediately after speaking out, I returned from my disability leave to the company. And on just my second day back from the company, they told me that they had made the decision to move my role overseas, that this would be urgent and effective immediately. And they gave me just 17 days to commit to moving overseas from San Francisco to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And they told me, you know, if, if I was unable to make the move, that ultimately I would lose my job. Yet, yet I mean, uh, Google claims that uh, this was not a retaliatory uh, measure. They, 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 de they deny a retaliation. Yeah, they're denying any, any sort of wrongdoing. Again, this happened immediately after I spoke out. It was the middle of the surge of Omicron. They told me that there was an urgent business justification and that I was needed urgently in the Sao Paulo office. I immediately went and I spoke to my colleagues who are based in the Sao Paulo office, and they all told me that none of them was working from the office, that everyone was working from home. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't think of any reason why it would be urgent to move another person there. Given you, that no in other words, you're being sent to exile. I mean, it sounds like it. Uh, so the, the knee-jerk uh, response lately to any support uh, for Palestinians or criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism. But you're Jewish. What does that dynamic or how does that dynamic play out? Well, unfortunately, you know, and this is one of the things that I shared in my resignation letter um, last week. Uh, yeah, so last week I resigned, I shared out a, a resignation letter, and I talked about the ways that Google is unfortunately weaponizing diversity and weaponizing false narratives of anti-Semitism and false narratives of Jewish identity to justify um, and to sustain a culture of censorship of Palestinian voices and any voices that speak out or act in solidarity with Palestinians. Um, and this is something that we see really play out across institutions. Google is hardly an exception. But when you, when the world's largest search engine is is engaging in censorship and false false narratives of diversity, you know, it's it's cause for extreme concern because it can lead to really extreme forms of of censorship, both you know its workforce, but also the, but also for the public, right? Um, and so, unfortunately, what you know what has occurred within Google is essentially this kind of machine of, you know, anyone who speaks out for Palestinian rights gets accused of anti-Semitism, is called into human resources, is issued a warning. And, you know, to, last week when I resigned, a group of 15 different workers, many of whom are Palestinian, also publicly shared out a series of anonymous testimonies of their firsthand accounts of you know the way that this has played out within the company and the and the culture of censorship, many of them shared their experiences, um, literally just speaking out about the news about what's happening in Palestine 
or, you know, identifying as Palestinian at work. There was one person who literally just had, you know, worn kefia, had worn traditional Palestinian clothing within their photo. And those folks were literally just called into HR and issued a warning. Wow. Literally for something as simple as just, you know, discussing Palestine, wearing Palestinian clothing, um, sharing the news. There was one worker who shared the experience of writing the words free Palestine in their company bio. And they were called into HR, issued a warning, and ultimately their bonus was taken away. I was going to actually talk to you about this. uh, But first, before we go into this, I read the word juglers in one report about this incident uh, as a group of pro-Zionist Jewish workers at Google who claimed to represent all Jewish voices at Google. Is this where employee harassment you are experiencing comes from? Well, what's happening is that Google as a company is using Juglers as a pawn, essentially, is what our many of us who are anti-Zionist Jews, that's what we've experienced. So essentially, you know, Juglers, what it what it means is Jewish Googlers. So it's kind of the term for the ERG or the employee resource group um, that is meant to to purportedly it's meant to represent Jews within the company and the ERGs, the employee resource groups. They're kind of a series of different groups that are meant for people, you know, who belong to any sort of marginalized or minority community. So there's, you know, there's the Arab Google group. There's the Jewish Google group. Um, there's the Black Google Googlers Network. There's Gaglers, which is like the LGBTQ group within the company, right? There's like all of these different communities are supposed to have a group. And what happens is that the leadership of each of these groups has the authority to represent the voice of that whole community, both within the company and also outside of the company. So leadership, right, executives within the company, when they need to consult about the needs or the reality, the realities of a certain community, they'll go to the leaders of the ERG, of the corresponding ERG, right? So in the case of Juglers, what happens is that the folks who are the leaders of this group have a direct line of communication with executives within the company where they're expected to represent supposedly the interests of, of the of the entire Jewish community. Um, and But what, what's happened in reality is that they're not actually representing the ideas and the opinions and the needs and the interests and even the safety of Jewish folks within the company and, and, in, and in the world, in the diaspora. What they're actually doing is that it's a small group, but it's a small but very vocal minority that has full control of that ERG space that is essentially just functioning as a mouthpiece for right-wing ideologies because they happen to espouse deeply ingrained, deeply held right-wing Zionist ideologies. And they're weaponizing false narratives of Jewish identity to conflate Judaism with Zionism. And so what happens is that, you know, they they go and they tell the company that any sort of criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic and the company, you know, knows that this is convenient because if the company can say that criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic, they can then claim that in, in you know, in the name of diversity, in the name of fighting against anti-Semitism, they're actually just justifying their business interests with Israel. And Project Nimbus is an example of that. It's extremely convenient for the company. And the time during which we got activated, like, you know, those of us who are anti-Zionist and progressive Jews was actually in 2020. It was um, the summer of 2020 was during the movement for Black Lives uprisings. And we noticed that during the movement for Black Lives uprisings, the company 
actually emailed the Jugglers group. So all Jews within the company received this email where the company was apologizing for the donations that they had previously made to the Movement for Black Lives. So they had made a significant donation to the Movement for Black Lives. There was pretty general consensus across the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion space, that this was actually a good thing that Google had done. You know, of course, they should be donating to the coalition that's leading the fight against anti-Black racism and violence in the United States. And yet here we are receiving this apology. And what had happened, what they had, what they stated in their email is that the Jugglers leadership, which is, again, a small group of very right wing and Zionist people, had actually issued a formal complaint saying that there were groups within the Coalition of Movement for Black Lives that expressed solidarity with the language of Palestinian led efforts and Palestinian led organizations. And as a result, they were they were just classifying that entire donation as having been inherently anti-Semitic. So we were just mortified. Like we just thought, you know, this is completely horrible. Those of us who are Jewish progressive people, we actually organized a letter. We sent a letter to leadership and said, you need to retract this apology. You need to, you know, stand firmly by the donation to the movement for black lives. And you also need to understand that Zionism is not an accurate representation of the Jewish community. You know, Zionism is a political ideology and Jewish identity is, is an ethno-religious and cultural identity. Those things are completely separate. Um, and when we, you know, we stated that very clearly, not only did leadership conveniently just ignore our letter, but what they ended up doing was issuing another donation, a $400,000 donation to four different right-wing groups, all mm -hmm. non-Black groups. This was all in the middle of the, the uprisings, the Black Lives Matter uprising. So they issued um, a $400,000 don donation to four right-wing groups who all had as a core pillar um, supporting the Israeli government and military. And they were saying that they were doing that in the name of fighting anti-Semitism. But really what they were doing is just supporting, you know, they, they're, they're supporting the Israeli military and government. So that do they, I mean, do they have a connection uh, to the Israeli government? I mean, uh, we've done uh, some uh, previous shows uh, about things that's, uh, that are happening on college campuses. And then we found out during our investigation that many of these groups had either connection to the Israeli consulate in, in San Francisco or to the embassy in Washington, D.C. I mean, I mean do, you, do you feel these groups are, are somehow getting their marching orders or their Hasbara plans from the Israeli government? Um, you know, I think that there are people who have all, all sorts of very deep and direct connections with the Israeli military and government who work at Google. And I think the Jugglers group is, is really just a pawn. I don't believe that they're actually holding a lot of systemic power within the company, but they're a very, very convenient tool for Google because, you know, Google is, is a company that has really invested a lot in building a brand around diversity and equity and inclusion, right? Being this company that's, that's extremely diverse and that cares a lot about supporting diverse workers, right? I, I would actually, because I was looking at my notes here and, uh, you know, it's exactly what you're saying a significant part of calling out Google and Amazon is that each of them proudly claims to uphold human rights. For example, Google's well-known mantra is that one can make money without doing evil. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's really the irony of this entire situation that, you know, Google Google's founding motto is don't be evil. They, they actually have retracted that model, that motto. 
They've retracted it. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. Because I think we, many of us believe it's because they have, they're essentially, that's their way of acknowledging that they are do, doing a lot of evil, but now their new motto is do the right thing. And they're still, they're not doing the right thing here. You know, like profiting off of apartheid is hardly doing the right thing. Silencing Palestinian workers, silencing anti-Zionist Jewish workers, you know, as a, as a means through which to justify doing business with an apartheid government is hardly doing the right thing. And in addition to having those mottos, Google also has, has AI principles that state that the way that Google's AI and tools get used need to be in an ethical way. And it's a promise that Google made by, by putting out these publicly stated principles. Google is promising not only its workforce, but also the general public that it, that it has a responsibility to uphold. And it's essentially just completely eschewing that, that responsibility. There, it's completely shirking its responsibilities by making this decision, by, by you know, profiting off of, off of fueling the Israeli government and military. And this is hardly an isolated instance, right? Google, Google has shown a really clear pattern of aggressively pursuing military contracts. Project Nimbus is just the latest in a long and unfortunate series of military contracts that Google has entered into that have drawn immense amounts of scrutiny and concern and anger, both from the public and Google's own workforce. Is there a connection between, I mean, I don't, I don't uh, insinuate that there is a connection, but uh, recently we've uh, done a show about uh, Pegasus, right, the spyware, and, and that caused a lot of uh, ire in Washington, D.C., you know, by basically labeling NCO, you know, putting it on the blacklist, and that, that spyware spying on American citizens, spying on politicians, spying overseas. Uh, recently, another company was implicated in spying on Greek politicians and so forth. So how does that play out with what is Google trying to do with an Israeli government that also is engaged on, on global, basically, uh, spyware? Well, I, it, it just, it's a reminder that Google's taking a really clear stand. Google, you know, Google is choosing in this case, it's choosing to be aligned with violence, with surveillance, with criminalizing activism, with criminalizing Palestinian, Palestinian rights activists, right? This is the side that Google is choosing. And they continue to insist that, you know, this is, a, this is neutral. What we're doing here is neutral. We're really just, we have this completely innocent billion dollar contract with the Israeli government and military. That's a civilian contract. That's all it is. The journalist, Sam Biddle, who actually, you know, put out a report in The Intercept that, that showed exactly the opposite of what Google is claiming, actually responded Um, this past week to Google's claims that this is a neutral contract, saying it's completely ludicrous that Google is even bothering to claim that this is a neutral contract, because all of the evidence says says the contrary. This is an AI and it's a surveillance contract. And, it, and you're working with a military that's carrying out war crimes. And many have said to us, well, why are you only concerned when Google works with the Israeli military? We don't believe Google should work with any military, of course, much less a military that is recognized by the global community to be carrying out apartheid war crimes and settler colonialism. But, I, but once again, I just want to, I want to state that we are workers who stand up against all military contracts. You know, another example is Project Maven. Four years ago, this was a drone precision technology contract 
that Google entered in, was trying to bid for um, with the Pentagon, with the Department of Defense in the United States. And essentially, it was technology that was designed to aid the Department of Defense in more accurately targeting victims of drone strikes, right? And of course, engineers at Google were just completely ashamed and angry because, you know, you sign up to work at a company that's supposed to be making information accessible, right? Google's mission statement is make information accessible to all. You don't sign up to be a a defense contractor to be building out war technology. So, you know, folks threatened work stoppages. They threatened to strike. They put out petitions and Google did the right thing ultimately. And they did pull out a Project Naven because of all of this, you know, all of this organizing that occurred. And we believe that because of that precedent, because Google has a history of pulling out of unethical contracts in response to employee concerns, that they can do the right thing again and they can pull out of Project Maven. The San Francisco Labor Board is investigating your complaint and you have gotten support from U.S. Representative Anna S. who who represents Silicon Valley. How important is this? Well, I think it is very important because it shows a couple of things. First of all, it shows that civil society takes this extremely seriously. And and the fact that we have an elected official who's not just any elected official, but actually represents Google's headquarter districts is taking my case seriously, shows it, it shows the degree to which Google is ignoring very, very serious concerns. They did not even issue a response to the Congresswoman's office. And they did not issue any sort of response to the workforce or to me about about the Congresswoman's letter. Um, But what it also shows is that workers are building power and growing in numbers and in power when it comes to standing up against this sort of unethical business. And particularly when it comes to the company's culture of censorship and retaliation against folks who, who stand up for Palestinian rights. And the reason I say this is that you know, it was a group of my workers who successfully lobbied Congresswoman Anna issue to send this email of my coworkers, right? It was it was folks from the Alphabet Workers Union, the 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 union of Google workers who are standing up for a more ethical workplace, um, who stood up and said, you know what, we are going to petition the company. And almost 800 of my colleagues signed a petition calling on Google to rescind the act of retaliation. Um the Congresswoman, this happened because workers went and they met with her and they shared about my case. And then because of all of this worker organizing, civil society put out a petition as well, calling on Google to rescind its act of retaliation against me. And over 25,000 people signed that petition. So the fact that, you know, that I think that's testament to the fact that people are really fed up with, with this sort of behavior where a company that's supposed to be the world's largest search engine, a public good, making the world's information accessible is actually doing really evil and unethical things. People are fed up with that and they're, they're holding Google accountable. Well, do you feel, uh, that's what's actually my next question is, do you feel that there is more of you, not just at Google, maybe Google, Facebook, other, uh, you know, who are afraid of uh, this uh, personal or professional retaliation against them and they're just keeping silent. um, You mean if I, if I believe that more workers feel afraid? Well, more that, that actually feel the same way as you do about their work and what the, what, what their work is being used to, to do. And, but they're still afraid, are afraid of retaliation. And that's why they haven't come, come forward. Absolutely. You know, a couple of things. First of all, what has be, what has really felt very clear is that when Google retaliated against me, 
what their intent was, was to silence other workers, right? They wanted to make other workers feel like, you know, well, if I speak out the same, the same will happen to me. So I should just be silent. But Google, you know, was not, they did not predict that the opposite was really what was going to happen. Because what actually happened is that after the news about Google retaliating against me got out, more and more people became activated and angry and started to organize and take action. And last week, you know, immediately following my resignation, there were protests against Project Nimbus um, this past Thursday outside of Google and Amazon offices in four different cities in San Francisco Bay Area, in the New York City, outside of the New York City Google offices, outside of the, the Durham, North Carolina offices, and also Seattle, outside of the Seattle offices, and hundreds and hundreds of workers and civil society organizers and community members came together and protested in person these companies. So if it were the case that workers are going to be scared into silence, then you wouldn't see hundreds and hundreds coming out and protesting the, the, protesting this behavior. And, you know, for a long time, it was just myself and Gabriel, my colleague Gabriel, who were, who were publicly denouncing Project Nimbus. But, but as of those protests last Thursday, there's now over 10 Google workers who are speaking out publicly with their name, with their face, and, and going on the record and saying, I am standing up against Project Nimbus because this is unethical, it's an abuse of power, and I refuse to be silent and complicit as a Google worker. What can listeners do to speak against uh, tech uh, being used for apartheid? Well, first of all, notechforapartheid.com. Notechforapartheid.com is the website that you can go to. You can sign the petition. You can learn about the direct action that we took last week and how you can continue to take action digitally and remotely. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know if there's a protest happening near me, but is there a way I can get involved in other ways? You can take digital action. You can post out on social media. You can email Google executives. You can email your Congress people or your elected officials. There are so many different ways that you can take action. And I think talking about this as loudly as possible and showing Google people care about this, people see this, people are aware about this, and this is a crisis of conscience, is going to be a really, really important step for us to take. If you're a student, there is a student pledge. Students are signing a pledge not to work at Google and Amazon until these companies rescind Project Nimbus. Um, you know, the, what, whatever it is that you do, be it that you're a student, you're involved in academia, you're a community member, you know, all, most of us, all, most of us who have access to the internet are Google and Amazon users by default because these companies are so ubiquitous. So we all have a right to have a voice and to, and to have a say. And so I think it's really important to use that voice and to do anything you can to take a stand because ultimately, you know, Google's brand loyalty and brand trust is the only thing that's more valuable than the bottom line, right? It matters to Google a lot. And when we show Google that Project Nimbus has broken that trust, which it has for so many people, that's really when we, when we become empowered to make a difference and hold the company accountable. Aaron Corran, you're uh, a brave trailblazer, I would say, and you're much to be admired for what you've been doing. And uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And one last thing is that anyone who goes on to um, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Google dash voices can actually view and listen to and read however you prefer um, the 15 workers, many of whom are Palestinian, some of whom are 
Arab and Muslim and anti-Zionist Jewish folks who work at Google, who are allies to Palestinians, you can actually see their testimonies about their experiences working in Google and share them. Because one of the other really important things that Google is banking on right now is continuing to silence and censor Palestinian voices. Um, you know, it's not a coincidence that I'm speaking out as a Jewish anti-Zionist person and the, because of the fact that Google has sustained this culture of silencing Palestinians. So I think one of the most powerful tools to counter that violence is for us to amplify the voices of Palestinian folks who work within Google. So please help us share those as well. Absolutely. Again, thank you, uh, Ariel, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That's the voice in the face of Ariel Koren. She's a Jewish pro former, uh, I should say, Jewish product marketing manager at Google for Education. She is one of a chorus of individuals in the tech industry, Jamal, who's been calling out um, various tech companies for their support, their militarized and intellectual support of the apartheid regime in Israel, which is, you know, contributing obviously to the death and destruction oppression, land theft of Palestinians, uh, you know, for over 70 years now. And she was one of the brave individuals who decided to confront Google. And as a as a prize for her confronting Google, she and now many others are being fired for calling into question, you know, the, the kind of moral standing of these tech companies and their collaboration. I mean, you know, Jamal, this is a long story. I mean, tech companies have been collaborating with apartheid and rogue regimes for a long time, but this one is particularly vicious, supporting, you know, this apartheid regime from Google, from Amazon, from all these other companies. And uh, she deserves a lot of credit for standing up for this. Absolutely. And just the past couple of weeks, just we've uh, spoke about uh, right. what, what else, N NSO. And NSO. And it's spy spyware Pegasus, and 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 now it's blacklisted. And now you know there are attempts to remove it from the blacklist by the State Department. And uh, last week alone, then we find out uh, they got caught also using Pegasus to spy on uh, on Greek politicians. Right. And and, and in the UAE, US uses this. So so whatever this whole tech area of uh, which, by the way, the Google. Uh, you know, we talked about that with the interview with Ariel. That focuses on AI and you know AI and facial recognition and 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 tracking people and profiling and so forth. And that's it's really weaponizing. It's 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 it's, 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 it's really these things uh, tech tools that are now being used by oppressive regimes such as Israel and other countries and weaponizing well it. To yeah. spy on on individual citizens, politicians, and, and and what have you, and it's a shame that Google, a company that started to promote education and search and human and research and human rights, etc., is now involved in the military Jamal. industry. Jamal, you know what Google's mission statement was at the big at the beginning absolutely we said it on on the, during the interview yes do no harm do yeah. good in the world you know yeah, some well. some version that tech should not do harm and this is what google was founded on and yet google and these other tech companies are are kind of knee deep if not waist deep if not neck deep in uh relating to these thuggish oppressive regimes like the apartheid state of israel they get away with it and Ironically, Jamal, it's it's 
I shouldn't say ironically, ironically and unfortunately, it's related to our next topic, right? You, you have these tech companies who are collaborating with apartheid regimes who are occupying and oppressing people. And you have Israeli surrogates doing something right now, Jamal, which, which is contrary to the large world order, which is contrary to the strategic interests of the United States. And they're, they're drumming up and ginning up war rhetoric. They want the United States to go to war with Iran. Now, you got to think that this is yet another destructive kind of push but by the Israeli surrogates to to do something really terrible right now in Iran, Jamal. Well, I mean, this, first of all, this has been going on for years. So years, years, years. Netanyahu, we've, we've spoke about this so many times on this show, and and we have to look at what's happening today. We have a global, basically, catastrophe, you know, post-COVID, Europe is going through a recession. We are on the verge of a recession. Europe is going through a recession, and it's going to get worse for them in the winter. Absolutely. The war is still ongoing in the Ukraine. We have, the United States has given the Ukraine so far more than $3 billion. $30 billion. You know, and 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 now we have these Israeli from the Mossad to to the politicians to their, as you said, their proxies in Washington, going back and forth at a time when there was still maybe hopefully some increasingly positive outlook for the United States and Iran to agree on conditions to return to the Joint Comprehensive Plan uh, of Action, uh, known as the JCPOA, you know, that's or commonly referred to as the Iran nuclear, n- nuclear deal. And now they're coming and saying, no, 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 it's not going to work. That's not, you know, that's, that's, it's not enough. Nothing is enough. And really, drumming, you know, the war. The war, and and at the time, it's a horrible time. I mean, imagine how catastrophic this will right. be. But I'm not time. sure. I'm not sure there's any good time for for a, a preemptive war like this. With this, this what they're calling for, Jamal, is a preemptive war against Iran, and um, at a time when the United States is involved in very delicate negotiations with the Iranians around the, the Iran nuclear deal. And every time something comes out in the news about the Iran nuclear deal making just a little bit of progress, you see the Israeli surrogates. And I might add, these surrogates in Congress, Jamal, are both Democrat and Republican. Let's well, be clear well, about it. Yeah, well, well, let's focus on the Democrats, because at least the Democrats now, the president is a Democrat. And this strategy, this is kind of the same strategy they used before. And and the specifics of their argument is basically depends on whipping up fear. Every time they're, they're whipping up fear, especially among the Democrats, that the Biden administration, they're saying the Biden is giving Iran too much and getting back so little, and that it will free Iran to both construct nuclear weapon, a nuclear weapon, and expand its support for militant activities throughout the Middle East. That's the argument. Take that argument, go back seven years ago, the same argument was, was made by Netanyahu. 
At the United it, Nations, at exactly. The, at the same argument. Every time you make some headway, you say, no, no, no. It's, 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 and, and you know now what's added to it, uh, Jess? What? There's a new, a new <laughs> angle to this argument. Which is? Well, which is, well, part of the deal, uh, and just to remind our, our, li- uh, our listeners, and that basically you have the following participants in this deal. It's not just the United States, even though right. you know, there is the EU, right. there is the UK, France, right. Russia, China, and Germany. And by the way, the Germans have been just playing along with, uh, with Israel. Just recently, if you listen to the statements uh, made in Germany, they say, no, 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 that's, that's not going to go through. That's not going to go through. Well, anyway, you have these countries, and, and, and there is an important part in that. I just named the, the countries quickly. Maybe I should repeat that. The EU, UK, France, Russia, China, and Germany. Russia, right? Right. So what's the role in Russia, right? The role for Russia is the depleted uranium goes right. to Russia for storage. Right. That's their right. main, that's basically their main mission. So now, because of what's happening in the Ukraine, in Ukraine and, and the war, they're saying, if you let that happen, then we are strengthening Russian, Russia's position. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so Russia, which, which is actually surprisingly out of all these countries, was willing to take who wants to take depleted uranium and, and stuff and, and store it, right? That's uh, right. harmful to the environment and monitor it, monitor it and all. So, Russia was that's the role that Russia agreed to to kind of make this deal happen and, and, and make sure that, that they're gonna, you know, monitor all of this and, and it's not gonna make its way some, you know use in, 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 to make nuclear bombs or, or what have you. And now they're saying, no, no, we, we're not going to accept. We don't want Russia. Russia is going to benefit from this. Unbelievable. You know, Jamal, the other thing that makes this especially kind of bizarre is that if you look back to the last number of years, the Israeli Mossad has been involved in so many clandestine uh attacks within Iran killing Iran nu- killing many Iran nuclear scientists assassinating their one of their top military leaders um creating software to destabilize you know the the a number of systems within the Iranian nuclear facilities um so it, my opinion is that I think that even though they're drumming up the war beats, the beats of war, the drums of war, I think there's another kind of angle to this also is that the 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 apartheid regime is going to use this as a pretext to continue these covert clandestine attacks on, you know, on Iran, on Iranian scientists and on the Iranian scientific community. So I, I think we're in for a very, very tense time right now, Jamal. It is. And and if they succeed, it will be horrible. I mean, it will be devastating. And my question is really will affect more yes. the Europeans than the, than the United States. Yes, you know? absolutely. Uh, I mean, when they're now scrambling to find alternative resources to Russian gas and Iran has been asked to kind of produce more and so forth 
And so it's not going to end. It's it just, you know, we're going to find out actually very soon. I mean, right. at the end of the day, somebody's going to withdraw from the table. And if you recall, during Trump, when he decided to scrap the whole thing, that gave Iran more time to whatever, whatever, whatever these countries are trying Iran to prevent Iran, you know, not doing enriching uranium, etc. And and uh, and so we don't know what happened actually during that kind of three, yeah four yeah, years but- four years of Trump not in getting involved, not monitoring, and so forth. Exactly, Jamal. I think in the last few minutes we should talk a little bit about MBS and his. He's on a spending spree, man. This guy is spending the kingdom's money like there's no tomorrow. And some of the projects seem bizarre to me. I guess we'll talk a little bit about it. But do you do you think this is a political ploy that he's attempting to, you know, which is a you know the the Saudi, if not the kind of Emirati policy, is to give money uh, to to the citizenry in order to quell any kind of uh, opposition what do you think's going on he's he's on this big spending spree man well let's talk about first the numbers jess it's unbelievable man 1.2 trillion trillion you know, 1.2 trillion. trillion 320 billion so 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 we are talking about a mega project that uh, the crown prince mbs out, uh, has outlined and, and started basically, you know, this whole vision. It's called Vision 2030. And this is the seed money, I should say. <laughs> and it's going to grow to $7 trillion plus. You know, when you start a project, just and you say $7 trillion means it's going to be $10, $14 trillion. You, you never, even in this country, we know like when they when you take on a project and you say you're going to spend fifty billion, it becomes a hundred billion. It's so unbelievable, that, but it's the money is staggering. Jamal. So, the, so, so the money is staggering. Now, the good news for Saudi Arabia, they're making money, you know, hand of fist, you know, because of uh, they're the beneficiaries of the Russia and Ukraine. But you know, the honeymoon uh, might not last long, and the whole idea—the idea seems seems actually good, which seems positive, because the whole idea of this uh, mega project uh, is really to reinvent uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, basically its top fossil fuel economy. So to kind of move away from fossil fuel, which sounds sounds good, but however now. Most of the money is being spent on skyscrapers uh, and and building uh, more and more buildings in the desert, Jess. Well, this desert project that he wants to build, Jamal, I've been reading a little bit about it. Uh, It's a staggering, staggering piece of, I think, fantasy life, almost dystopian in some idea. About building hundreds, just to give you numbers, 170 kilometers long. A building. 500 meter tall skyscraper. Uh, Through the desert, Jamal, (laughs) through the desert. And the idea is somehow, I mean, that's why I think it's kind of dystopian in a sense, because the concept is should 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 Saudi Arabia become uninhabitable in the future, you could house millions of people within this structure, have a functioning economy, being able to grow, you know, and be self-sustainable. It's kind of it's kind of a doomsday concept. 
who knows? But $7 trillion is a lot of money, Jamal. Well, it is modeled, you know, after China, basically, if you, if you recall, beginning of 1990s, China was 75% rural. But, you know, factories in places like Shenzhen and desperately needed workers, so infrastructure, spending, help moved hundreds of millions of low productivity farmers. You don't have that. You don't have these high numbers in, in the desert in Saudi Arabia because now what I've been reading, uh, Jess, is that uh, most of these buildings have been vacant. And, and yes, there are plans in place to attract workers. And uh, I don't want to use, because the terminology that some economists have been writing, but they're referring to them as slaves, basically, to come and, and build these buildings from poorer Arab countries, such as in Egypt, and et cetera. And they're also trying to attract, well, they actually have a deal with Lucid Motors, you know, this California right. company right. Uh, backed by the Saudi Public Investment Fund to build a plant that will eventually produce 150,000 plus cars a, a year. And already the Saudi government ordered 100,000 vehicles from American electric car maker, mostly probably Tesla. They don't mention this. So they have sound kind of like plans to kind of uh, pivot away from fossil fuel, and they're trying to fund sure. it now. Sure, But uh, economists are looking at it because of the huge numbers uh, and also that the lack of population, that they're going to end up with empty buildings and they are not going to attract enough people to occupy these buildings, not enough people to work in these factories if they succeed. And and so and so the question is, will that will MBS bankrupt Saudi Arabia? Well, I think this is a story obviously we're going to be covering for a very long period of time. I for one am very skeptical. I, I'm just saying I'm I'm deeply skeptical. I the idea that Saudi Arabia has to pivot in some way makes a lot of sense. The concept of a seven trillion dollar, you know, kind of self-contained you know, uh, 500 meter high, 170 kilometer long building. I don't know, Jamal. I'm I'm sure we're going to be following this story for a very long time. Well, so far, 60 sky skyscrapers uh, have been built, and with along with financial centers, they're still standing largely empty, 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 so. empty. empty. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we will speak to you next week. We'll see you next week.